0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.
1: Good morning. We are continuing through 1 John this morning, and our text is 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked.
0: Good to see you all. Great to be with you. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to look at God's word with you this morning, but let's pray one more time and ask God for help as we go through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God and you have spoken in your word the pages of this book that you have sovereignly orchestrated, and you've spoken most excellently and most clearly through the person of your son, the Lord Jesus, and uh We thank you that you speak even now by the power of your Holy Spirit, who is here with us. Lord, you you know who we are uh, before you, who we are in relationship to you, and what we need. And so, Lord, I pray that as I try to teach this passage, that your Holy Spirit would help me to be clear and to be faithful, and um, most of all, that you would speak a better word than I can speak into the minds and hearts of everyone here, that you would Impress upon each one of us exactly what we need to know from your word in our situation. That you bring new life as we hear your word. We pray this that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been considering one of the most important questions there ever could be. And the question is this, how can we really know that we really know the real God? How can we know that we know God? So we're thinking about what Christians throughout history have called assurance. Have you heard that word before? Assurance. What is assurance? Assurance is the experiential confidence that you are God's and he is yours. You know, you have a relationship with him, and you know it. So it's the confidence of knowing he knows you, he loves you, It's also the confidence of knowing you know him and he has your heart. So as you can imagine, having assurance will give a deep experience of joy, won't it? And isn't it a wonderful thing to know that you know, to know that you have God as your father? Fear, guilt, insecurities, anxieties of all kinds melt in the face of assurance, and what we call the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, that flowers with assurance. You feel his love, you're ready to love. You feel his love, you have joy. You, you know his work in your life, you have peace. On the other hand, a lack of assurance is horrid. Have any of you ever experienced that before? You come to the knowledge that you might not know God. You might be under his just wrath. You might be on your own. You doubt you're saved, you're full of guilt, you're insecure, you're out of joint. And what's that going to do to the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You're full of joy when you don't know God? You know you don't know Him. Is there peace there when you're not sure you're right with God? Of course not, you wither. That's why it's such a treasure to have 1 John, because he's writing about having assurance. That's what this letter is for. He writes in chapter 5, I write these things that you may. No. Over 30 something times he uses some sort of the word form, no. Several times he says, so that you can have confidence. And it's in our passage today. He wants Christians to know that they know. But we're learning as we go through this letter that true assurance is not automatic. In other words, you kind of don't have the intellectual right. To feel assurance just because you think you're spiritual, for instance. Two reasons. Number one, it's real real easy to have false assurance, isn't it? False assurance. I'll go out on a limb and say a lot of people in the world have false assurance. What is false assurance? It's thinking you know God and you're right with him and being very wrong about that. And we've thought about this uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, God is what God is. Whatever that is. And who he is does not change based on your perspective on who he is. He is what he is, whether you believe in him or not. And as we look out at the world, there's 10,000 varieties of opinion on who God is and what it means to be right with him and what it means to know him. And we've seen that means maybe, at least most of them are wrong. It must be so. And so we realize it's very sobering, that it's possible to have assurance, a false assurance, a sense that you're right with God and be wrong with him. And that's why John writes for clarity. Clarity. Let's remember who he is. Who is John? He's an apostle. So he was an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He saw it. We've seen that a couple of weeks ago. We saw it with our eyeballs. We touched him with our hands. He's real. Look at who he is. So he, he's, he's an eyewitness, and then he has, he has credibility as an eyewitness. He also has authority as an apostle. Jesus chose him and said, John, proclaim me to the world. I'm going to lead you by my spirit to do that. And so what he says is as good as the word of Jesus here in this letter. So that gives authority, which means with his credibility and authority, he can say, this is what it means to know God. And this is what it doesn't mean to know God. And he gives us clarity. Praise God for clarity. Isn't it really nice? It's outside of your feelings. It's outside of your wonderings. You can, you can see it. You can hear it. It's objective. There it stands. Clarity, praise God. It's also difficult because sometimes clarity leads you to crisis. Oh, that's what it means to know God? Maybe I don't believe that or have that or do that. Crisis. Well, if you're feeling crisis during this sermon, that's one reason I like to talk and pray with you afterwards. But it's not always a bad thing because as you work through the crisis and you seek God and seek his truth, John is writing ultimately so that our clarity will take us through any crisis and bring us to joyful confidence. Assurance that you know God. Because, like I said, it's easy to have a false assurance. It's also easy to not have assurance when you should have assurance. Have you ever been the the Christian with a super sensitive conscience? And uh, you know you love God, and you're just wrecked with the idea that you just don't love him good enough. And you think, am I even a Christian? Or um, you're full of, Guilt about your past. And you just can't get over what you've done or not done. You're broken by it. John wants to, as much as John wants to confront sometimes with clarity, he wants to encourage. Hey, look, here's how you know. Have you tasted this? Are you in this? Then let yourself know. Enjoy. You have assurance. Because, like, it's it's, it's the root of, of out of which joy grows, to know you know the real God. So this morning, we're thinking about assurance, the joy of really knowing that we really know the real God, and we're thinking about how assurance connects with our relationship to his word, because your assurance has to be connected to your relationship with his word. Uh, would you agree that to know someone To really know someone, to have a relationship with them, there needs to be communication. Have you ever tried to know someone without any communication? It's difficult. And some of you ladies are like, yeah, my husband tries that all the time. (laughs) There has to be communication. And that's difficult with God because it's not like you can drive to God's house and knock on his door and look him in the eye. It's not like you can grab him and say... Come to me. It's not like you can go and try to have a vision on the beach and, oh, I met with God. or How can you make God condescend to you and communicate with you? Well, you can't. There's no way. For us to know God, he has to want to be known. He has to want to be known. He has to start the communication. And the beauty of being a Christian is to see just to what extent God has done that in such clear ways. God wants to be known, and he's spoken in countless ways through his word. He speaks. He speaks. And so as he speaks first and he initiates the conversation in the context of his word, we can speak back to him in the way our hearts and minds and mouths respond to his word. And that's what John's getting at here, is how you know God in relationship to how you respond to his word. And so we're going to see four parts this morning in these six verses. Number one, the word shows us that to know God, there's something you have to confess. The word shows us that to know God, there's something you have to confess. Number two, the word shows us that to know God, there's something you need to rely upon. Number three, the word shows us that to know God, there's something you've got to keep. Number four, the word assures us that when we confess and rely and keep, there's something we can come to know. Something to confess, something to rely upon, something to keep, something you can come to know. So we'll begin with something you've got to confess, Chapter two, verse one, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. How do you feel as you first hear that verse, if that was the only verse you got? I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. I asked someone close to me how they felt about it, and this is what that person, that dear person said. Well, you can tell me that, she said, but I don't feel like it helps. Or I feel like I sin all the time, are you kidding me? How am I gonna get out of here? I think, there's, I think there's two ways we tend to respond to something like this. Number one, we feel crushed. Don't sin, really? Uh, I can't, not sin. Number two, some of you might just feel defensive when you hear that. Inside your heart of hearts, you're thinking, see, I knew it, Christianity was just about being a good person and following the rules. I knew it, and I've met Christians who were jerks, Plus, I don't really sin that badly myself. I'm a good person compared to my neighbors and compared to some Christians I've met. I don't even need this. Why are you getting legalistic? Let's hold on for a moment. Can you hold on for a moment? Before you get crushed or get defensive, can you realize that down in verse five, John is also saying, I write these things that in you truly the love of God would be perfected. Did you hear that? I write these things to you so that in you truly the love of God would be perfected. Does that sound different? Does that sound good to you? God's love for you, so powerful and vigorous in your life that it's having its purpose in you, that you're just growing in his love more and more? I just want to ask you to consider, what if I write these things to you that you may not sin, and I write these things to you so that the love of God would be perfected, are part of the same process? It's about knowing God's love. Let's read a little more of the background. We looked at some of this last week. You might be surprised to remember the first step to not sinning. How would you answer, you know, that question? What's the first step to not sinning? You might be like, read your bible and try harder. What's the first step to not sinning? Look back to chapter 1 verse 10. Chapter 1 verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, what does John say? We make him a liar and his word is not in us. <laughs> The first step to not sinning is to confess that what? You've been doing a lot of sinning. <laughs> the first step to not sinning is to confess your sin. This, is, this command I write to you that you may not sin, this is not, this is not about looking religious or being self-righteous. It's about being humble and being honest. You sin. The most mature Christian in here, and it's probably not me, is still full of sin every day. What does this have to do with God's word? Did you see how He said, "If we say we have not sinned, we make Him what a liar." What? Why does, Why are you calling God a liar when you say, "No, I don't sin. I'm a good person." Why are you calling God a liar? Well, what has He said about you? <laughs> You're a sinner. Okay, He said it explicitly, uh, something like Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, in the Greek, all means all. All. No one's righteous, no one good. He told you that. But he's not just told you that you're a sinner. He's shown you that you're a sinner. Uh, The book of James calls the law a mirror in which you can see yourself. Now, if you make up your own little law, which is be nicer than Bill the jerk down the street, And you look in the mirror there, you're like, hey, I'm a good person. But that's not the law. That's not the standard God uses. If you were to look at his word, you would see commands like this Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, in every way, all the time, as he has said in his word. Then you would also hear, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the time, every day, in every way, as he has said in his word. That's what he said. And if you looked in your, at yourself in that mirror, how do you look? I look bad when that light comes on. I look bad. I have sinned. His word says I sin. His word shows me I sin. You know, sometimes you can't really see the truth until somebody else shows it to you. You ever had that experience? You know, maybe my wife will say, hey, you do this sometimes. And my first response is, no, I don't. And then a couple of moments later, I did. And then a couple, couple moments later, I did more than once. I didn't see it. Now I see it. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We saw this last week. The closer you come to him, the more beauty we, you will see and the more about you will get exposed. And you will find as you come closer to him and his holiness and his law, you will see the reality that you are a, you're a sinner. And the first step to the antidote to that it's not to run away and pretend like you're good or quit the whole program because it's impossible. It's to do what? Confess. Look at verse 9. It's this wonderful invitation. Friends, if, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You know, you're lying to God. You're lying about God. But look at verse 9. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, look at this about God. He's faithful. And just, what does he do when we confess? Forgives us our sins? And even more, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what does confession have to do with God's word? It's the first step towards agreeing with him. It's the first step towards believing Him. We see what he has said about himself and his law, and we say, "That's right, and then that exposes us. And so to agree with God, we then say, I've sinned so many ways. I've sinned in so many ways, and I don't even know it all. But we can do this in a certain safety, almost with a certain joy. Because we know that as we agree with God's word, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. But do you see where this takes you before you go anywhere else? It takes you to humility. It takes you to humility. As a sinner, what do you deserve before God? Wrath. That's it. And so there's no more deals to be cut. Hey, God, I've been good, and you're God, so you owe me whatever. That's over. And now you're just at this place of, I don't have any hope unless you help me. I need your mercy. And as soon as your heart is in that place, let me tell you, you're on the way to knowing God. If your heart has never been at that place, if you're still standing back and saying, I'm a good person and God owes me this because I'm a good person and I prayed and I went to church and I did good things and therefore God has to, has to give me the life or the money or the whatever, you don't know him yet. But as you get exposed and you confess your sin, you say, I've got nothing but reliance on you. Help me. Guess what? Be encouraged. It's, it's almost like a backwards encouragement, Right? The fact that you're humble and confessing your sins means you're on the way to knowing Him. Something to confess. Number two, somebody to rely upon. Why can mature Christians be so quick to confess? You know, as you grow in maturity, here's one sign of it. When someone confronts you and you're caught, you say, Yeah, I was wrong. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. And that comes out of you more easily. A sign of immaturity is strong defensiveness that doesn't want to give an inch. Why are, Chris, why are Christians able to have almost like a courageous, almost a joyful confession? Why? Because we have something to rely upon. And that's what's next. Chapter 2, verse 1 My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have what do we have? an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. What's an advocate? It's like a lawyer, a representative, a friend who represents you. And an advocate means that you no longer have your own voice. Your advocate's voice now speaks for you. And and having an advocate means... uh, your future is no longer based on how well you do in the courtroom. It is now based completely on your advocate. You have signed it all over and said, I'm all in on my representative. He loses, you lose, but he wins and you win. I have an advocate. What's his name? Who's your advocate? I feel like I should be, yeah, I want to I I move in on this a little bit. Is your advocate trying to look at your life and remembering good things that you've done? Because that's what your heart wants to do. Stop. Is your advocate a group of saints who could intercede for you? Is your advocate even Jesus' mother Mary Let's go all the way to the top. Who's your advocate according to this passage? Jesus Christ is your advocate. And we know that he's the son of God and he's the advocate before the father. Do you realize how high up the mountain you've gone? You need an advocate before the father. You can imagine, uh, is there a good servant or a friend? Who's going to be the best advocate with the father How about the son? (laughs) Has the father's ear. This is your advocate. And I want you to enjoy this next part with me. What does Jesus ask for as he advocates for you? Does he say, could you just show him mercy one more time? I know they don't deserve it. Is that what he says? Here's what I think he says. I think he demands justice. He demands justice. Now first when you hear that you might think, are you sure? Cuz in one sense, right? Justice is the last thing I want. <laughs> We've already established that if I got justice, it's not going to go well for me cuz I'm a sinner. But no, I insist, justice is what he's asking for. How can this be? Remember verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just to forgive us of our sins. Now, he could have said he's faithful and merciful. That, That wouldn't be wrong. But it's not what he says. He's faithful and just. And friends, this will give you greater assurance. That's why this is here. This will give you greater assurance. So when G, if, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you rely on him as your advocate, he goes to the father and says, I want justice for that person. And at first you think, yeah, are you sure? Trust me. Did you hear what he's called? Jesus Christ the righteous. Did you know that in the Greek language, he's faithful and just? Jesus Christ the righteous, that is the same word. It's the same word. He's faithful and just, Jesus Christ, the just. He's faithful and righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And this is what it means. Father, I'm the advocate for them because I'm the propitiation. And now you're thinking, that didn't help, okay. Anyone wanna try to say that word with me? Go ahead, propitiation. Let's try it one more time. Propitiation. We want to keep the word, and here's what the word means: substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary. You know what a substitute is. Because the reason Jesus is asking for righteousness is and justice is not because he's saying, look at this person's life. No, he's saying, look at my life in their place. I live the perfect life. I'm righteous. And they belong to me. I'm their advocate. Look at them through the lens of me and who I am. He's just. He's righteous. He's the propitiation. And He can say, Look at them as forgiven because you and I, Father, we both know that you poured out every drop of wrath that you had for every one of their sins on me in their place. I'm the substitute. And so, Father, justice, you're so just, Father, you would never, ever go over the top on punishing a sin or under. You've never swept a sin under the rug, but you've never given a double payment. You are perfectly just, and because you are perfectly just, you have already poured out perfect justice on me for them in their place. Your righteousness says you must declare this person righteous because I am righteous in their place. So awesome. When, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you rely on your advocate, I wanna tell you, God does not look at you and go, eh, one more time. Because you have someone pleading for you. Give them justice that I earned for them. That you sent me, Father, to earn for them. This was your plan That they could be called innocent and righteous in me. You have an advocate with the Father. And your Father is happy to pronounce you righteous and innocent in Christ. When you feel that, don't you get it again? Why this is good news? This is good news. (laughs) This is good news. I'm a sinner, and I deserve wrath and rejection. But I have an advocate who takes me all the way up to perfectly righteous, not in what I've done, but in what he has done? And I can know him as my father because of that, freely as a gift? Yeah. The Word says, if you want to know God, confess your sin. And if you want to know God, rely on the advocate. Verse two says, these are propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. And I think the reason John throws that in is because we remember these churches were dealing with a certain controversy. We're kind of small groups within the church community. We're saying, we know the secret knowledge. Uh, Some commentators say it's like the seedbed of Gnosticism, Gnosis, this idea of secret, super uh, kind of undefinable knowledge that only enlightened people get into, the special group gets into it. We're the ones who know, and so the church is facing this. How do we know? What if I don't have the elation vision or the secret whatever, the secret sauce these people are telling me I need? John says, no, it's actually, it's clear and it's true for the whole world, and this is what it is. Confess your sons and rely on Christ, and no matter who you are or where you're from or how much you know about whatever, he'll be your advocate. And the reason this is good news is because you might think there might be something haunting you in your mind that says, well, there's something that disqualifies me from this. And I think this verse says, the only thing stopping you from having, having this would be you. There's no sin of your past that the advocate can't overcome. There's no weakness he's not strong enough to handle. Just come. Confess, rely. What does this have to do with the word? Well, everything, right? Jesus is the word who brings the the better word. He's the fulfillment of God's word. He's the fulfillment of all God's promises. He's the ultimate word, the revelation of the Father in human flesh. He brings the better word. Why do I say this? Let's take just a moment. Look at Hebrews 12, 24. I love this verse so much. Hebrews 12, 24, there the author says, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel say? You remember that story? It's back in Genesis, Cain, Cain kills his brother, and God confronts Cain and says, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And what what does Abel's blood say to God? Bring justice. Think about how much crying God hears every day. Bring justice. You see how the innocent have been treated? You You see what they're doing? Bring justice. God hears it every day. It's amazing we have another beautiful sunny day today. How much crying out did God hear yesterday in Orange County? But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. How does his blood speak a better word than Abel's? You've already brought justice on me. You've already brought justice on me. Forgive them. Declare them righteous. Declare them innocent. Isn't that great? Jesus is the word. He declares a better word. Oh, so how, Knowing God in connection in relation to his word. What is it, number one? Can you tell me? Confess. What is it? Confess. Number two, rely. Rely on your advocate. Okay, number three. Verse three, number three. 1 John chapter 2, verse three. And by this week, we know we've come to know him if, if what? We keep his commands. Now, let's walk through this. What do you think, what do you think when, uh, when I say this to you? It's impossible that you can know God through what Jesus has done and not be moved by his love. Yeah? I mean, how can you believe that and not be moved by his love? Could you also say it's impossible not to respond with some love for him when you see it? Come on. Now, you can know facts about what Jesus did and not love him. It's like a hobby for some people. Okay? But that's not knowing. If you know what Jesus has done and you trust that and you know it was your sins he paid for and you and you see his love for you. Real faith has love in it. I'm sorry, right? You're going to love him. What do you do when you love someone? What do you do when you love someone? Don't you want to please him somehow? Don't you want that relationship to flourish and grow? Don't you want to be close? Uh, I want to remind you that in many ways, 1 John has echoes from the gospel of John. Remember, John wrote the gospel, with the news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He shows you Jesus' life. And there's truths in that gospel that echo into this letter he writes to the churches. I want to remind you of what Jesus said in John 14, 15. Look what Jesus said. If you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now we're on a third thing, something to keep. To know God. You confess your sin, you rely on your advocate, and then what do you do? You keep his commandments. You keep his commandments. It's interesting to me that Jesus did not say, if you want me to love you, you'll keep my commandments. Why would that not work? That was point one. (laughs) I haven't and don't. This is not, keep the commandments and maybe Jesus will love you. That is not what this is. That is the opposite of what this is. It's if you love me already, if you love me now, what will you want to do? You want to keep my commandments. You want to know them, you want to keep them. Your angle on how you handle the commandments is is everything. I just want to, it's so important. When you confess your sin first and rely on Jesus first and then keep the commandments, that's different than trying to keep the commandments first. We have seen before, do we keep the commandments in order to earn something from Jesus? You think you can? Do you think that's what this text has been saying? The whole thing about confessing? You're a sinner? You have an advocate? We started with the premise. No, you don't really keep these. You don't keep them to earn his love. Do you think you're earning forgiveness by keeping his commands? Like, do you really want to be your own advocate before the Father? Why should I receive you? Well, I kind of tried to obey a couple times. Don't you remember? I was even at church on Daylight Savings Weekend. (laughs) Just got to count for something. We don't want to be our own advocate before the Father. In light of confession, in light of the advocate, in light of God's love for us, in light of humility that we have not and do not keep the commandments perfectly at all, because we love him, We want to grow in keeping his commandments. The issue is, if you, what? Love me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this changes everything. If you're trying to keep commandments you don't like in order to earn something before God, it'll be bitter, it'll be self-righteous, and nothing good will come of it. But if you know you've been broken as a sinner and you are thrilled with what Jesus has done for you and that gives you love for God, you'll obey then out of love. (laughs) You love God and you love your neighbor. And the difference is you'll want to obey. You will want to obey. Do you hear me? You will want to obey we have to stop here do you love jesus do you love jesus if so what will be in you you will want to obey if you know jesus you'll love him and if you love him you'll keep his commands in love you'll keep them in love so let me just pause. Am I talking about perfectionism? You hear the sermon, you go out, you never disobey again because you love God so much. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the life I live. That's not what John's talking about. Several times in his letter, he uses the word practice. What you love most is shown in your lifestyle and practice. It is. What you love most is shown in your lifestyle and practice. And so John will say, whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If you look at God's commandments and repeatedly, continually say, no, I will not keep them, then John says to you, you don't love God, you don't know God. Because your practice shows you what you love. Jesus said this too, didn't he? Look at John 14, 24. John 14, 24. Whoever does not love me, what? Doesn't keep my words. But then back to 1 John 5, 3. Here's the difference when we keep his commands in love. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and what? His commandment is not a burden. I want to do it. I want to do it. So friends, let me encourage you now. If you've ever looked at God's word and seen his commands, And not only have said, man, I've broken that. That's that's not good. Jesus, I need you. Help me move forward in obeying this. And you have, you put forward, I want to do it. I want to try. I want to grow. If you have put that in to obey, not perfectly, please, but genuinely, guess what? You know God. (laughs) You know God. He's worked in your life. He's your friend. Christ is your advocate. He's your father. He's in you. He's with you. You know him. Wow. Look at this process that Jesus talks about. John 14, 21. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keep them Keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the picture of assurance. This is already confessing, already relying. Now you have his commandments and you keep them. And it shows: what does it show? You love Jesus. And the more you work out your love for Jesus in keeping the commands, guess what you'll experience more and more? He who loves me will be what? Loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. You will know God more and more deeply as you can keep his commandments in love, in his love for you. And your love for him. Isn't that what John is saying? Verse 5, back to 1 John chapter 2. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. It's matured. His love for you, your love for him. And then John says, by this we may, what's that next word? Know that we are in him. This is assurance. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? Well, you could answer that in a million ways. But look at John 14, 31. John 14, 31. How did Jesus walk? I do as the Father has commanded me. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Why did Jesus keep the Father's commands? Love. Why are we to grow in keeping his commands? Love. Love. So, what have we seen so far? You can know you know based on your response to God's word. Part one, confess. Part two, rely on your advocate. Part three, keep his commands. In love. In love. And here's part four. As you do these things, we've seen it, right? You can know. You can know. You can know. John says, by this we abide in him. Do you know what abide means? Stay Stay close. In John 15, Jesus talks about a vine and a branches, right? It makes sense. If you cut off a branch from a tree and lay it in the yard, it's going to die. It's not getting its juice. I'm obviously a plant expert. (laughs) Even a dummy like me can see, I think the branch needs to get connected. Jesus says, you're like that. Abide in me, my life flowing into you by faith. In my word, by my spirit. Abide, live. He, as, as my friend, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus says. Dependence, friendship, the experience of fellowship. Abide. And then by this, we know we are in him. And this is incredible c- Christian doctrine. In, right? It's a, you go in a house, you, in a place, and Jesus says, You're in me. It's strange, but what it means is you're united to him by faith. You are deeply connected. Paul in Romans says you stand in grace. Your advocate and everything he is and has done for you surrounds you and holds you. You're his. You know him. He knows you. It's assurance. By this you know. What can we have as we confess, rely, keep, keep, In love. No. I know I'm his. And this is a, uh, in this life, it's a never-ending process, right? Doesn't it always work like this? It's pretty much for me every time I spend time with the Lord. uh, I want to see him for who he is, and very soon, his light shining, and what does Matt need to do? Confess. I got to confess. How can I move forward? How can I have fellowship? Lord, I just... Not only am I confessing, I'm like, show me more. Isn't that what the Psalms say a lot? Expose me to myself. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And then as I'm confessing, where am I running? Like in the same blank. Advocate. Advocate. Thank you. Jesus is my righteousness. Thank you. Jesus took the wrath. Thank you. I'm loved, right? Confess, advocate. And then after that, you're like, thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm yours. Then what do you want to do with your day? Help me keep your commandments. Help me walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. Help me grow in this, that, and the other place. Help me be like this at home. Help me be like that at church. Help me move forward. Help me. Help me. And then then you live it out a little bit. And you try and you fail, but his presence is there, and you try and you succeed, and you know him, and you know that you know him, and then you do it again. Do you know in Paul's last letter, he writes that he's the chief of sinners? Do you know it's the most mature Christian who's gonna be the most condemned, or not condemned, convicted of sin? Here's the thing with Christianity the more you mature, Your actual sin will get smaller, but your conviction about the smaller sin that remains will get larger. You'll see things you never saw before, and things that you used to think were so small and no big deal, as you move into God's light, it'll, it'll ruin you. I thought that. I wanted that. And then you step back one day and you think, you know what? I used to not even care about what I thought. I was trying to stop this horrible habit. And now I'm fighting sin closer in. And I see how bad even my thoughts are. I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) You're more convicted of your sin than you've ever been. And you're sinning less than you ever have. Because you know God. It's because it's, it's you know him. The, the greater knowledge of him gives you more of a sensitivity towards the small sin. And the greater knowledge of him has given you a more mature practice with less sin. And as you experience those things, you have a greater sense of what Christ has done for you on the cross. And a greater appreciation for God's love for you therein, which will come out in a greater love for him. And over the years, I don't know what to tell you, it builds up assurance. You know. Confess, rely, keep in love. No. A few points of application, a few questions. Given this clear thing John has laid out for us, do you know him? Do you know him? Don't answer that for me. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's in your mind. Please answer that for yourself. Ask it like this, do I know him? Start here. Are you broken about your sin? Are you confessing it? Do you see it? Number two, do you know him? Do you rely on the advocate? Are you looking to your own goodness? Or are you saying it's all, it's all Jesus for me? Rely. Number three, maybe here's the biggest crisis. Are you keeping his word in love? For some of you, there may be a command that it is shooting through your brains right now. You know good and well what Jesus has said. And there's a war in your heart because a big part of you says, I don't want to keep it. Crisis. 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 Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Grow in keeping his commands, not to earn salvation, please, to show that you have it. And then you can know, a few friends to help you. What friends do you need to help you know that you know? Well, number one, if this is all about God's word, what's a key recommendation? You need to be in the Lord's word. You need to know what he says so that you can can keep confessing, relying, keeping, knowing. Befriend your Bible. Number two, befriend your church. I was talking with a friend the other day. It's one thing to confess your sins between you and God. By the way, do that, and that's most important. But number two, it's another thing to confess your sins to a friend. You ever tried to confess and keep God's commands in accountability, oh man, that's a new level. It's a new level. And it so enhances the knowledge of God. Befriend your Bible, befriend your church, but most of all, befriend your advocate. Pray to know God. Pray to know God. Pray to have a broken heart. Pray that he would reveal himself to you. In that spirit, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, you alone know where each one of us in this room is with you. You know whether or not we know and are known. And I pray that your spirit would be inspiring a desire to know you. Lord, if anybody doesn't know you, I pray that they'd be bothered and they'd want to know you, and they would run to Jesus, their advocate, and trust in him, and know that he is theirs, and they are his. I pray for those of us who are wrestling with a commandment we are just not keeping, that you would break our hearts and become so sweet to us that we would surrender, and that in love, your love for us, our love for you, we would give you that part of our lives. And, Lord, I pray for those those who do know you and are trying to follow you, Lord, that you would give us the sweetness of encouragement um, in assurance. Yeah, we're not perfect, not close, but we know you. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for bringing us into fellowship with you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us in as your children. Thank you for giving us the advocate. Thank you um, for fellowship with God that will last forever. Grow all these things in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.